Good morning, everybody. We're here this morning because we're here to worship a a risen Savior. Uh, We're not here uh, to stand in awe of technology or the things that could or could not go wrong. Um, We're here because we're compelled by the love of Christ. So before I go any further, let's just pray to to center our our hearts and our minds on the the text that we just heard. Father God, we pray uh, that you would remove these distractions uh, from before our eyes and before our hearts, that we would focus on your word and what your word says to us. Uh, be with us now in this time. Amen. And honestly, I needed that for myself uh, more than anything. But uh, I want to share with you something that, that happened this, this weekend, actually, uh, as we were, or not, you guys weren't preparing for this sermon, I was. But as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, I actually spent some time yesterday taking my oldest son, Isaac, to his first ever comic book convention. Uh, and it was right here in town. It was the Soundwave Comic Con over at Trident Tech. Uh, and uh, for me, it was, it was more than just taking him uh, to a comic con, but it was also being able to share something that I have grown up loving for most of my life and, and sharing that with him. Um, and that's my, my love of, of comics and, and all things uh, comic-related in that world of geekery. But it, it's not just from the, the aspect of the, the fantasy and the, the superheroics, uh, but I, I love stories and storytellers. And so I've loved these characters because of the things that they communicate and also, there are some characters that I don't enjoy because of the things that they communicate. But even think back on some of our, our most iconic superheroes uh, that have been with us for generations. You think of Superman, and, and even if you're not a, a comic reader, most people have at some point heard that Superman fights for truth, justice, and the American way. Because he, that's what he communicates. He fights for those things. Even if you're not a, a, that familiar with the, the, the folklore of Spider-Man and all of these things, at some point you might have heard that he stands by this creed that with great power comes great responsibility. These characters are, are vehicles to, to communicate powerful truths to people. Uh, these words communicate uh, selflessness. They, they communicate that there's something greater beyond themselves, something greater beyond ourselves. And so that's why these characters are so beloved for so long. And that's why these things resonate with readers. And in a sense, this is what James is getting at in this passage because he's pointing out that the things that you say, the words that you use to communicate, matter. The things that you communicate to others, the way that you say them, matters. In fact, that's why when we first uh, began this series in James, if you remember all the way back to James chapter 1, if you were with us, when James says to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Because the way that we communicate with others matters deeply. And so he says, don't just rush into uh, a a flippant use of of the language that you use, but be quick to listen and slow to speak. And I would even say that James is saying that every Christian should give extreme caution 
to how they communicate. Not just, oh, you should casually think about it, but be, be careful about the words that you use and the way that you communicate those things to other people because your words do matter. Last week we were looking at how uh, actions can display your faith. But this week is all about how your words display your heart. And so James gives three very practical ways to give, uh, to give caution to the words that you use. And that's by recognizing three things. One, recognize the weight of teaching God's Word. Two, recognize the way that your tongue is used. And third, recognize what is in your heart. Before we get into uh, uh, unpacking these Scriptures, let us, let's pray one more time. Father God, we thank You for this time together. We thank You uh, that we can come together and sit and rest in Your Word, that You uh, have given us Your Word to communicate Your truth and Your love and Your mercy to us. God, we pray that You would be with us now here in this place, that You would pour out Your Spirit, that this would not just be my words, these, this would not be my efforts, but God, that You would speak through a broken vessel like Myself. And use me to communicate your gospel truth and love. Be with us now in this time. Amen. So as I said last week, we were looking at uh, what James said about your actions and how faith without deeds is dead. Not that it's lacking, not that it's hurting. He says if your faith is not matched up with action, then your faith is dead because actions must line up with your words. It's not enough to just merely say that you believe certain things, but he says that your actions have to line up with the things that you say. And if not, do you even have faith? And that's what we unpacked last week. But going into this week, he's still in that frame of mind. He's, he's saying that you cannot say one thing and go and live your life in a completely different manner. You cannot say that you hold to these gospel truths and then communicate pure filth out of your mouth the rest of the week. And first up, he addresses teachers. And he points out the importance of recognizing the weight of teaching God's Word. I'll never forget, I received many years ago, I've been doing youth ministry for about the last 20 years. And I have uh, some students that, that are, are grown uh, on their own now. Uh, one of them is actually married. But uh, I'll never forget when they were in high school, uh, they wrote, each of them wrote me a letter that I, I still have in my little box of, of personal letters to, uh, to this day. But it was a letter from uh, Rebecca Thomas and Sophia Cantrell. And uh, we were at summer camp one year at this place called TVR up in Spruce Pine, North Carolina. Uh, and we were doing this, this hike up a creek. And, and the whole, whole camp goes, and it's this beautiful time that ends at this waterfall. Uh, but they were just ahead of me and one of my friends. And as we were talking, both of us were younger and single. And, and talking about uh, the qualities that we looked for in a potential uh, future spouse one day. And we were talking not just about the... the uh, the superficial qualities, but we're talking about the things that we wanted in a Christian woman, a woman that valued uh, a love for Christ above all else, a woman that, that 
valued purity and, and care for her own self more than the opinion of others. And we just thought that this was a conversation between uh, him and myself. But unbeknownst to us, every single word that we were saying was being overheard by these high school girls. And it made an impact on them to the point where when they got home, they wrote me a letter talking about how much of an impact that it made on them to hear men not just talking about the physical qualities that they wanted. Because we wanted more than that. We wanted more than superficial relationships. But the impact that it made for them to hear men saying, we want women that love Jesus. And to this day, those girls, those are high uh, standards that they set for the, the men in their lives. Because I was their youth pastor, and what I said had weight on their mind and on their heart. And I will never forget that. And so James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a sense that just the very things that you communicate will be judged at a personal level. The way that Sophia and Rebecca heard every word that I said, even though I wasn't teaching, I wasn't doing a Bible study, I wasn't, uh, uh, there was no Bible there with us. It was a mere casual conversation. But because I was their youth pastor, because I was the one that taught them God's Word, they held my words to a higher standard. And it had a weight upon them. And so for those of you that are teachers, James says, be careful because your words have weight. You will be judged by them. You will be judged by human standards, but also, and this is a bit more weighty, because God cares deeply for how His Word is taught. Jesus Himself, God in the flesh, says in Matthew chapter 18, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, he's talking about the little children that are with him at the time, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. For people who are improperly teaching believers in Christ to sin, Jesus says they'd be better off if they had a giant stone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. That would be better than the judgment that it comes for those who teach people to sin. I don't know about you, but that, that's a heavy standard. It's, it's not just a casual, well, you shouldn't do that. No, Jesus Himself says they'd be better off drowning in the sea under the weight of a millstone than to teach others to sin. Paul, in his letters, says that false teachers should be castrated and anathemaed. That they should not be able to, re- to reproduce in any manner whatsoever and condemned to hell. Those are false teachers that he's talking about. He's not saying, well, just, let what they, just ignore them and, and no one will pay attention. He says, no, they should go to hell for teaching improperly the Word of God. God cares deeply for His Word and His truth and His Gospel and how it is communicated to others. 
He's very concerned about these things. And some of you right now might be thinking, well, I'm okay because well, I'm not a teacher, so I'm not held to that standard. The difficulty is when you also look at the rest of what Jesus says in Matthew 28. And I don't want to uh, leave any part of this out, so I'm going to read these uh, uh, 18 through 20, where Jesus sa- it says, And Jesus came and said to them, this is after he's been resurrected, and he's giving the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The difficulty is, He has given all all of his followers the mandate to go and make disciples by baptizing and teaching. And so yes, there, there are those that are called with a, a weightier calling to, uh, to teach and to, uh, to preach God's Word uh, as a vocation. But all believers have been given the mandate to go and make disciples by teaching God's Word. And so when Paul says to be careful of those of you who teach, that includes all followers of Christ because whether you like it or not, you are being watched. You are being judged by those around you. The way that you carry yourself. The words that you use. And so I want you to think for a moment, when you are talking about Christ, when you are talking about your faith, when you are talking about what you believe in, when you're talking about the church, what are you teaching? Because we've already seen that God is very passionate about protecting His church and His gospel and His truth. And so what are the things that you are teaching when you open your mouth and you talk about these things. In verse 2, James goes on to say, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He's saying all of us are going to stumble. Every single person is going to mess up and make mistakes. He's not giving that as an excuse. He's giving that as a warning. Saying, you know you're going to stumble at some point. Because anyone that does not stumble is a perfect man. And we've already covered that there is no perfect man outside of Christ Himself. And so every single person is going to stumble. Every single person is going to mess up and sin and make mistakes. And so knowing that, be careful about the words that you use and the way that you communicate. But he's also segueing into his next point when he talks about bridling the tongue because he's also uh, uh, talking about recognizing the way that your tongue is used. And he goes on and he starts talking about uh, uh, um, the bits that control a horse and the rudder of a ship. If we put bits in the, into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, 
yet it boasts of great things. These are things that are small and often overlooked. When you think of horseback riding, most people don't automatically jump to thinking about the bit that goes into a horse's mouth. But yet, that is what is used to control where the horse goes. You don't control a horse with a saddle. You don't control a horse by sitting on it. You control a horse by the bit that is placed into his mouth. Likewise with a ship. A ship is not steered just by being in the water. A ship is not steered just by being on the ship itself, but by the small rudder that changes the direction of the ship. And, and James is saying that these small things that are often overlooked and deemed inconsequential have a huge impact on the direction where they're going. And he says, your tongue is the same thing. Often overlooked, small, inconsequential, but it is an indication of the direction that you are heading. And he goes on to verses, uh, uh, or finishing verse 5 and into verse 6, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The tongue, more often than not, is wielded as a weapon of destruction, like a spark in a dry forest. I don't know if many of you are familiar with the name Justine Sacco, but her life was forever changed on December 20th, 2013. She was a PR executive for a company called Interactive Core, IAC. And she was taking a business trip to Africa, to South Africa specifically, and right before she boarded the plane in London, she thought she was just making a little sarcastic tweet on Twitter, for those of you who tweet and know what that is. But she thought she was just making a little innocent joke, and she, she wrote the following, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. She boarded the plane and was without internet for the next 11 hours. And over the next 11 hours, her one tweet blew up the internet. In 11 hours, it was shared or retweeted over 2,000 times, often with the hashtag, Has Justine Landed Yet? People were calling for her head on a platter, they wanted blood. Because how dare someone make a joke about the suffering that is going on in Africa and the AIDS epidemic. And she has no idea any of this is going on. She thought she was just making a joke between her and her friends. But it's out there on the internet. And once it's out there, you can't contain it. Like a spark in a a dry forest. And so she lands, and immediately as she is exiting the plane, she is informed that she has just been fired from her position. No explanation, no conversation, just you're done. Pack up your stuff and get out. And her life was forever changed. She has another job now, but that, that one huge tarnishing mark is forever staining her reputation. 
because of the careless, destructive way that she used her words. Now, you might not be going out there and tweeting racist or insensitive comments. I hope that you're not. But often the words that we use, we use them carelessly. We use them very flippantly. I'm extremely guilty of this. For those of you who know about the the five love languages, uh, I am not a words of affirmation person. Out of the top, well, there's only five love languages, and for me, words of affirmation is like number seven. But it's number one for my wife. And more often than not, my sarcasm and my, what I think is, is simple joking and teasing wounds her deeply because I have been careless with my words. How are you careless with your words? The jokes that you make. The way that you talk about other people. In fact, in the church, we're extremely good at covering this up, but we're horrible with gossip because we disguise it as a prayer request. Have you heard about what's going on with Susie? Oh, we should pray for her. How are you careless with your words and the things that you communicate to other people? Because in verse 6, James says that your tongue is a destructive fire and it's lit on fire by hell itself it's staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell that when we use our tongue in a destructive manner that's a and I know this is going to sound extremely huge but that is a satanic destruction It's evil. God used His words to create life and to bring existence into reality. And more often than not, we use our words to tear others apart and to hurt and to destroy. And James says that is evil from the pits of hell. He goes on in verse 7 to say, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You can go to just about any circus or zoo or things like SeaWorld, things like that, and you can see these amazing animals doing trained tricks. You can, you can see uh, like, like the, the orcas at SeaWorld like doing the backflips and stuff like that. You can see uh, the, these naturally, in their natural environment, these wild animals can be tamed to entertain us. The human race has domesticated animals. Dogs and cats were not always household pets. Over the course of centuries and generations, they have been domesticated to where we feel like, oh, this thing that's out in the wild that normally maims other animals and eats, their, eats them, like, I want that as a pet. And so we, we domesticate these things. We, we make them our own. And James says, you can do that with just about any wild animal, and we've done it. But no human being can tame the tongue. He calls it restless. 
and evil and poisonous. Again, back in Matthew, Jesus says, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. The tongue is evil and restless and deadly poison because that is what comes naturally out of our heart. And this leads to the most, most difficult aspect of exerting caution to your words because if you're honest, it forces you to take a real examination of your heart and who you are by recognizing what is truly in your heart. In verses 9 and 10, James says, With it we bless our Lord and Father. With it being your tongue. We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So many times, especially growing up as a teenager, I've heard that, uh, that verse used to just, to just refer to, uh, to the curse words, you know, the, the S word, the F bomb, and all those things. And, and granted, uh, the, that kind of language you know, is, is not becoming of, of someone who is singing the praises of, of God. But it's so much more than that. It cannot just be, well, don't use bad words. But he gives a very natural and real example of the hypocrisy of praising God with one moment and then the next moment going out and using our tongue to curse those that are made in God's image. In fact, somebody here today having just sung Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. And you're going to be driving home. Someone's going to cut you off in traffic. And the words are going to come. Fingers might fly. Because that is naturally what is within our heart. is bitterness and anger. That's what's in your heart. And that's what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. Let me flip there real quick so I don't leave anything out. In Ephesians 2, 4-7, through Paul writes, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. When you were dead in your trespasses, that is naturally what's in your heart. made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The words that fly when you stub your toe, when you get cut off in traffic, when your co-worker just irks you one time too many? When you forget your homework or you fail that test, the words that come out of your mouth flow naturally because that is naturally what's in your heart. 
the human condition is not sick. It is dead in sin. We're longing to be springs of living water, but more often than not, our tongues are a source of bitterness and salt water. And that's what God's mercy is about. That's what we just saw in in Ephesians chapter 2, is that God's mercy and His grace reached out to you when you were dead, when you were unable to do anything about your own condition, when you were unable to do anything about the bitterness and the evil poison in your heart that flows from your tongue. He sent His Son to die for you, to take your sins upon that cross. That's the Gospel. The Gospel isn't however many steps to be a better you or to be a better husband or wife or father or mother. The Gospel isn't just those surface level things. It's that you were dead inside full of evil and poison. And the Son of God came and took your sin and nailed it with Himself to the cross and rose victoriously again in three days. The Gospel is not just memorizing Scripture verses or having the best doctrine or theology. The Gospel is the biblical truth that I once was dead, but now I am alive in Christ. And James is saying, if that is true for you, you cannot go and praise God and immediately turn around and destroy with the same tongue. And so we're urged, I am urged, you are urged, to think carefully when you speak. Examine the weight of the words that you use and the things that you teach when you are talking about Christ and the things that you hold dear. Examine the way that your tongue is used to guide and direct your life are the things that you are destroying with your tongue. Examine the truth of what is in your heart and what is flowing out from that. Is your tongue producing a bitter water of death? Or is it a spring of living water flowing from the risen Savior? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank You. We thank You for, for Your Word. We thank You for this time that we can come together. But God, we thank You that You take broken sinners like us, dead in our sin, unable to save ourselves, and You make us alive in Your Son. And You call us Your children. You make us Your own. You redeem us. And God, we confess that far too often we, were, we are careless and destructive with the words that we use. And God, we come before You not out of condemnation, but God, we come before You out of thankfulness that You are redeeming and restoring us. God, we pray that You would help us to examine uh, not just our, our, our words and our tongues, but uh, examine our very hearts where those words come from. 
remind us of Your mercy and Your grace and what You have done for us. And let that flow. Let us not be known for our our destruction. Let us be known for our love and our mercy and our grace because You gave it to us first. We thank You, Lord, and we, we love You. And we pray all of this in the risen, victorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.